It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is June 4th, 2018. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Happy Monday to everyone. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at PhilipRR_OMD. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about one of the big draft prospects that I think the Magic will be looking at. I think uh, a lot of people consider him a little bit of a reach. Not their favorite guy, but we are going to talk about him as we do in-depth draft coverage here. We're going to talk about young bull Colin Sexton uh, coming up here on the show. I'm also going to give you my kind of weekend holdover thoughts from the uh, hire of Steve Clifford now that we've had some some time to sit and really think about it, let the emotions or or the the initial reactions die down, hear from them a little bit, hear from Steve Clifford, hear from Jeff Weltman a little bit, so I'll give kind of my impressions on that as well. Uh, 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 but before we do any of that, uh, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals. And before I do that, before I give my two cents in, I want to tell you that you can go to the experts. Just like me, there's a podcast covering the Orlando Magic every day. There's a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors every single day. Check out Locked on Cavs and Locked on Warriors for all your NBA Finals needs over the next couple of weeks or days or, you know, however long the series goes. You can check them out. They do a great job covering their teams. Locked on Warriors, Locked on Cavs are your direct source to the local experts. Guys like me, you know how the detail I get into with the Magic. And that's a team that won only 25 games. These guys are in the thick of things with the two conference champions in the NBA Finals as the Golden State Warriors take a 2-0 series lead and shift back to Cleveland. So check that out. You can find them on iTunes and also check out Locked On NBA as well for a national perspective from your favorite Locked On hosts. Like I said, though, we're going to start today by talking a little bit about this NBA Finals game. I'm going to give you give you NBA Finals uh, analysis and breakdown uh, here on the show. Um, it was a game that I, I think went kind of how you would expect Golden State to respond after escaping and and really, frankly, stealing a game from Cleveland in Game 1. Golden State was sloppy. They settled. Um, they weren't locked in defensively, and I wouldn't say they were completely locked in defensively on Sunday night either, but Golden State was a lot better. They came in with a lot more focus. They were, they were, they were interested in moving the ball, and that makes them incredibly dangerous. It was going to be very difficult for LeBron James to match his effort in Game 1, and while he came kind of close, he did a lot of really good things, uh, uh, it, it wasn't quite the same. It certainly wasn't the superhuman effort we saw in Game 1. But this game really started at the at the beginning, of course, but really started with how Golden State played at the beginning of the game. They were looking to get into the paint and looking to score with ease. And they found a Cleveland team that wasn't able to stop them. Golden State had 32 points in the first quarter. They only had a four-point lead, but it definitely felt like a lot more. And eventually, Golden State was able to open up a 10-point lead. And it kind of hovered there for most of the second and third quarters. And, and I remember thinking to myself as I was watching the, the Warriors attack the the basket and attack the paint so much so over and over and over again 
I kept thinking to myself, man, eventually Cleveland's going to try and lock down that paint and the three-point barrage is going to come. That three-point barrage finally came in the fourth quarter. Golden State outscores Cleveland 32-23 to in the final quarter for a 122-103 to victory. That's, again, taking a 10-point lead to a 19-point lead and, frankly, a blowout at that point. Stephen Curry with an NBA Finals record nine three-pointers, nine for 17 from beyond the arc, 11 for 26. Total added eight assists, seven rebounds, five turnovers. Uh, but Golden State largely, largely very effective uh, overall in, in the scoring column. Stephen Curry uh, finishes with 33 points. Uh, you get 26 from Kevin Durant, bouncing back from a str- from a difficult game one. Clay Thompson playing off with the injury, 20 points as well. Again, Golden State had the ball moving, and, and when they do that, they are just so difficult to beat. I, I, I've said this, you know, throughout the playoffs, but but definitely since the Western Conference Finals, and, and I'll, I'll admit, I picked the Rockets to win that series, and it looked like they were going to, but... Even in that series, even with uh, some of the games that Houston won, it really felt like your margin for error going up against Golden State is incredibly small. You've got to be about perfect, which Cleveland was in Game 1, and you've got to get Golden State to make mistakes, or you've got to force Golden State into mistakes, whether it's isoing Kevin Durant too much or chucking up threes too much without driving or just praying that they're not hitting those shots. Cleveland got that in game one, too, and then yucked it up at the end. But I think what's what's dispositive about that is Golden State still had a chance to win that game, and Cleveland yucked it up at the end, and Golden State beat them. You can't give Golden State a second chance, and, and that's really what happened in game one. Game two, Golden State just dominated from the start. Um, it, was, it, it wasn't it was over from the start. You always had that—you you wanted to say Golden State's about to blow this open, but they have LeBron James. This game— you kept wanting to say that. You kept waiting for either the LeBron barrage or the three-point barrage from Golden State to come. Golden State's three-point barrage finally came in the fourth quarter, and that was that. Another solid stat line from LeBron James as well. 29 points, 13 assists, 9 rebounds for him. 10 of 20 shooting, 5 turnovers as well. Um, LeBron, I didn't think was as assertive, especially early on, and as aggressive. I think he was really looking to get his teammates involved, really trying to make sure that they felt confident. That's a good teammate, of course. I mean, he, he can't he cannot beat this team by himself. That is that is one hundred percent true. Um, Kevin Love stepped up, twenty two points, seven for eighteen shooting, ten rebounds. George Hill also with a solid game with fifteen points as well. Um, Cleveland got some good performances. They were able to keep pace, but just not able to finish it. Not able to go the distance. Uh, LeBron had moments where he looked really tired, and I think Golden State switched their defense up a little bit. Um, they didn't switch as much as they did in Game 1. Game 1, I was getting really annoyed with how, how Golden State was switching uh, with James. Uh, they, they were they were searching that matchup with Steph Curry, uh, and LeBron just abused him all night long. Um, I, I, I really think that Cleveland, at the very least in these two games, proved that they can make this a series, that they can play close games with Golden State, that you know they can they have a good game plan. I, I think you got to give Ty Lue a ton, Lue a ton of credit. They have a good game plan. They're playing. They're playing really well within that game plan. But like I said, that margin for error is really, really small. They've got to play perfect, and that's really tough. And LeBron makes it easier. But LeBron was not quite LeBron tonight or Sunday night, uh, and, and so I think that that is a big factor in in Golden State ultimately pulling away and getting the blowout win that they did. 
It'll be very interesting heading back to Cleveland. I think game three is the game Cleveland has to get. They cannot go down 3-0 for obvious reasons. Um, they really can't go down 3-1 either. I think they got to get game four too. But first things first, game three, there's going to be a lot of emotion coming back to Cleveland. A couple days off before Wednesday's game. That's the game they've got to get. They've got to win that game. Again, for obvious reasons. But that is, they've, they've got to feed off those emotions. They already let one slip. They, sh- they, should, be, they should be heading home 1-1, feeling really good about themselves. And I, I think they should still feel good about themselves. Again, I think they've proven that they can make this a series and make these games tight. But they've got to continue proving it. They've got to continue answering the bell. And they've got to continue taking those steps forward. So game three again. Wednesday night in Cleveland. That's a 9 o'clock tip-off on the East Coast. That'll be on ABC. And we'll, of course, recap it on Thursday uh, on Locked On Magic. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner. And Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, back to the Orlando Magic now. I want to start right now uh, just by collecting my thoughts or collecting uh, reactions kind of more tempered reactions to the Magic's hiring of Steve Clifford. Uh, over the last few episodes, I've gone pretty in-depth into the hiring. Uh, you know, I, I covered the press conference on Wednesday for Thursday's episode, talked to Walker Mail of Locked On Hornets for Friday's episode. Be sure to check that out in the archives. Um, we'll be posting it on OrlandoMagicDaily.com as well. Um, and, and you get a better picture of who Steve Clifford is. Magic fans know vaguely who Steve Clifford is. I mean, he was assistant coach with Stan Van Gundy. Uh, but overall, there's still, uh, I feel, a sense that Magic fans wanted something splashier. They wanted something sexier. They wanted a Jerry Stackhouse, an up-and-coming coach who, who has a lot of buzz, or Nick Nurse. or. But that wasn't what the Magic were looking for. I think Adrian Wojnarowski and Bob, Bobby Marks on the latest episode of the Woj Pod, or at least the one after Game 1 of the NBA Finals, really kind of said it best. Um, they both think Steve Clifford is a great coach, and, and I think Woj has a good relationship with Steve Clifford. Clifford's been on his podcast several times. Um, they think he was the best coach on the market and a perfect fit for Orlando. He knows the organization. He knows the expectations. He knows the city. He's done, essentially, what the Magic are trying to do right now. And it's not flashy. It's not pretty. It's 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 gritty. It's tough, and it 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 has an identity, and that's really what Steve Clifford brings to the table. You know, I I, I still see this argument a lot. The Magic aren't going to win a championship with Steve Clifford as their head coach. I, I see that. I see people say that, and you know, I tend to agree. I don't think that that is an unfair thing to say. I think in Charlotte he had his struggles. Um, I think injuries played a big role. I think the management not putting together a cogent roster, inconsistency off the bench for a lot of those years in Charlotte. And finally, with with the Hornets, um, they just weren't able to get over the hump uh, for whatever reason. And I do think Clifford got stale. And so I think uh, you can look at his time in Charlotte as both a success and a failure. A success in that he took a 21-win team to 44 wins in one season and made them competitive all five years 
they had playoff expectations, or not the first year, but they made the playoffs that first year. And then the other four years, they had playoff expectations and struggled to meet them for various reasons. But they were in the game. They were never out of the game. They, they went from 44 wins to 33 wins to 47 wins to 36 to 36. With the Hornets' poor late-game execution and late-game luck, that's, you know, swing a few games here or there, they're, they're in the playoffs. And so when the Magic hired Steve Clifford, I was, I was not super excited. I, I, would, I think I told someone online, that I would give the I would give the coaching hire a B or a B plus. It's not an A plus hire. It's not a home run hire. It's it's not the sexiest name. But I think at the same time, it's also the right choice. It's the one with the least amount of risk. It, he's a guy that has done exactly what the Magic need to accomplish. He took that seven win, twenty one win team. Charlotte Bobcats and made them a playoff team almost immediately. And not only that, he built a culture. He built a a style of play that resonated with his players that stuck with them year after year after year, something they built upon and were made better by. And that is hard to find. Now, I think for some people, it's like, okay, that's great. Still didn't make the playoffs two out of five years in Charlotte. How, how is this good for the Magic? And I'll agree with you. I can't argue against that. Clifford missed something in Charlotte. And so if you ask me, when the Magic contend again, will, will Steve Clifford be their coach? Probably not. He probably isn't the one to get them to the finish line in that sense. Now, whether that's where the Magic ultimately end up is, is a completely different question. But I think what's also important to remember is that's two or three steps ahead here. This is a Magic franchise that hasn't won more than 35 games in six years, that has struggled to form an identity, a distinct play style, a, a, a thing that they can hang their hat on year after year after year. This is a team that's been kind of lost in the wilderness in almost every sense of that word. You can't be thinking about, oh, what do we do when we're at that stage, that, that championship stage if the Magic ever get there, when you're at the bottom stage. Step one right now is to be respectable, to build a culture, to be a team that other teams have to prepare for and and put wrinkles in and, and know that they're playing the Orlando Magic. Steve, I mean, Jeff Weltman said it best. You know when you play a Steve Clifford team. Charlotte Hornets, for their record, were not an easy out. Everyone, I think, would recognize that, that record-wise they underachieved, but statistically, they're about a 500 team. That isn't success by some measures, but it, it is success. And if he, can even, if he can bring even just that to Orlando, his tenure could be a success. This is step one, getting a coach to build a culture 
getting a coach to get the team back to respectability. Back to the point where they could win any given night, and they do win almost any given night. I mean, at this point, would Magic fans really complain about finishing 500 and 9th or 8th in the East? That would be a great step forward, as I've said throughout this process. As long as it's taking steps forward, as long as it's, as long as it's clearing a path toward something, of course. Steve Clifford is that coach. He's not the one that's going to suddenly change the complete outlook of this team. But he is going to establish that base that the Magic have been missing. And that is important. Do not get it wrong. Do not forget the simple steps, the easy steps, the first steps. He's got to get that done. And if he does, if he is able to get that step done, to get the magic to that consistency level. Where Scott Skiles, frankly, had the team. I, you know, say what you want about Scott Skiles and, and his coaching style and, and, and all that. He put discipline in this team. They didn't have a set identity, per se, but they played well. They played hard. And they won 35 games. And no matter how you want to slice it, the circumstances of his hiring or whatever... I would have loved to see him get a second year. With a roster that more fit his eye, perhaps. Steve Clifford brings that same sensibility, that same expectation, that, that same standard that Skiles brought. He may not be as, uh, perhaps, um, his personality may be a little bit different, but he, he will set high expectations for this team and expect them to meet them and hold them accountable to it. And that's what the Magic need more than anything else. They don't need a name. They don't need a sexy name. They need that. A culture. A coach that will hold them accountable and build it. And that's what Steve Clifford has done in his time as a head coach. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. To a lot of people, uh, culture, though, is set by the point guard, and obviously the Magic do have a bit of a need at the point guard position. DJ Augustin and Shelvin Mack both had great seasons in 2018, but neither are considered starting point guards, nor probably should they be. They lack some length. They lack athleticism. Um, they're more, I mean, Mac is probably more of a, a gap filler, perfect off the bench. DJ Augustin, more of a scoring point guard. Again, works better off the bench. They both played fantastic this year, but 
definitely a little bit short, and Orlando needs a point guard, and a lot of people have put that focus on the draft, whether it's drafting Trey Young, Shaquille alexander uh, Anthony Simons, even later in the draft, Jalen Brunson, Javon Carter, uh, Grayson, uh, not Grayson Allen, uh, uh, Trevon Duvall. There are a lot of interesting point guards. Elia Kobo, um, a lot of interesting point guards in this draft. But the one guy that, that, that has caught some interest and, and, and caught some controversy among fans, at least as, as they're debating what direction the match should go, is Alabama point guard Colin Sexton. You know, I, personal story here. Uh, I worked for the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, as an intern, uh, mostly covering the Minnesota Lynx. Go Lynx. Um, they, they're, they're struggling right now on a four-game losing streak, um, which they haven't had since I was there, almost. Um, but that's either here or there. Um, but... Uh, I was interning for the Timberwolves back in 2009. And, you know, we were at that draft, the infamous David Kahn draft. If you probably you probably know what I'm talking about. When the Timberwolves had back-to-back picks, trading Mike Miller for the fifth overall pick to Washington, um, they drafted Ricky Rubio, which the, I would say, A, that's been proven like good pick because Ricky Rubio is a very, very good player. Um, and the reaction to picking Rubio in the gym in the target center, was ecstatic. I, I don't think that the, the Timberwolves could have passed over him except for Stephen Curry. I think people would have gone crazy for him too. And Minnesota probably should have taken him. But with that sixth pick, they didn't take Stephen Curry. They took Johnny Flynn. And when we spoke to David Kahn after the draft and, and the day after when the rookies were introduced, he very much talked about that six-overtime game that Johnny Flynn played uh, against Connecticut and about the heart and determination and grit that the smallish point guard showed and his belief that that was something to build around in Minnesota. That, of course, didn't work. And I think that shows the danger of allowing one game to completely color and completely determine your evaluation of a player. Now, I'm not saying that that was the only thing that Minnesota considered when they picked Flynn But it was a big part of the storyline that that specific game turned Flynn from maybe a mid-lottery pick into a top five pick, or top six pick in this case. So it is with that that I give warning. So there's the warning off the top. But yet, I can't let go of what we saw in Brooklyn over Thanksgiving. A brief scuffle broke out between players from Minnesota and Alabama in that game. Players left the bench, and there were ejections, and Alabama found themselves down to four men. A few minutes later, one of their players fouled out. They were down to three men. Going five-on-three against Minnesota, and and five-on-four, a man down at least, over the last, I think it was eight or nine minutes, I think it was 10, 12 minutes, something like that. It was a long time. Colin Sexton took over the game, scoring 20-plus points and playing Minnesota even, five-on-three. There are some things that are just intangible in a person. Some things that you can't measure by stats. Some things you can't, you can't really look at a box score and see. And heart and determination and... Willingness to win as much as hating to lose are big, intangible aspects that you can't find anywhere else. And that game 
over Thanksgiving propelled Colin Sexton into the conversation for a top 10 pick. And for most of that early part of the season, he was probably ahead of Trey Young as people were still figuring out what Trey Young's game was. Here's a guy who is just pure determination. The young bull, as he's nicknamed, driving to the basket with reckless abandon and finishing effectively at the rim, getting to the foul line, just being the engine for Alabama. He tailed off as the season went on, struggled a little bit in conference play. His shooting percentages went down a bit. But in the NCAA and SEC tournament, he stepped his game up again, carrying Alabama into the NCAA tournament with a strong SEC tournament run, and then getting a win in the first round and falling in the second round on two very solid games. His five-game run in the, in the conference and NCAA tournaments, averaging more than 20 points per game, shooting it effectively, shooting it better than 40% from beyond the arc. This is a guy that steps up and relishes these big moments. And in the words of Enzo Amore, you can't teach that. This is a Magic team that needs culture builders and drivers like that. Someone who's going to create something out of nothing. Something that's going to try and will his team to victory in some way. And be a big, impactful player in those moments. That's something Orlando has missed dearly over the last six years. They thought they might have had it in Victor Oladipo. But it didn't really come out that way. Now, Sexton is not quite all of this. I wouldn't say he's a runaway pick. He is an inconsistent three-point shooter and has drawn plenty of comparisons to Alfred Payton. I think those comparisons are a little unfair. Uh, He's a much better shooter than Alfred Payton. Where Peyton shot in the low 60s free throw percentage, Colin Sexton's in the high 70s, which suggests to me that his three-point percentage, which hovered around 34% for the year, can improve. Not only that, unlike Peyton, Sexton got hot from beyond the arc, was able to make shots. And I think his I think perhaps some of his percentage problems from the three-point line are the fact that he had to do so much off the dribble. He had the ball in his hands a lot and was looking to drive and, and just generate offense for everybody, especially himself. And I think that took away from his shooting ability. I think that affected his percentages. But don't get it wrong. Sexton's game is very much reliant on him getting to the basket. And in the half court, not the smoothest player. Playmaking, his assist numbers are pretty low for a point guard, about three assists per game. And so the question is, is that a matter of Alabama wasn't a very good team, which they weren't, or is that a matter of Sexton is just too laser-focused on the rim? A sort of smaller version of Victor Oladipo when he was with the Magic. And again, with the Magic, not with the Pacers. This is a really interesting player. I, I do think so. I think that while he wasn't the best defender at Alabama, he has the physical tools to be a good defender. I think he has the physical tools to be anything. He's a player in the mold of John Wall and Russell Westbrook, just an athlete that runs end-to-end at full speed and attacks the basket with abandon. And then occasionally hits the open three when you leave him open. We'll keep you honest, at least. But again, is this the right team for that? Do the Magic Can the Magic provide the environment for him to grow successfully? That's the question that I question. 
But I think Sexton is still would be a, a not a great pick, but a good pick. He fills that point guard need. He has that that it, that culture setting tone about him, where he's gonna go all out for wins. And I think he can continue to grow into that role. Yes, he's a little bit of a risk because of the shot and because of, of the other things. If he doesn't quite work out the way that you hope, if he isn't a mini John Wall clone, because I don't think he has great speed. He doesn't have elite speed like John Wall. He's very good end-to-end in transition. Half court, not as effective. Settles for a lot of jumpers in the half court. But this is a kid that is determined and ready to win. And that has some value and cannot be ignored. Whether he's the Magic's pick, we got a little ways to go before that. I suspect that the Magic would like to go in a different direction. But Sexton very much fits an idea about the team. I want to thank everyone again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Like us on Facebook at Locked on Magic. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the fun places you download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can also find us online at LockedOnMagic.com. You can follow me on Twitter at R underscore OMD. And, of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, including a replay of our podcast with Walker Mail of Locked on Hornets, check out orlandomagicdaily.com and of course follow us on Twitter at omagicdaily our draft prospect profile series has continued on we've done Ilya Kobo we've done Dante DiVincenzo I'm sorry I butchered that Colin Sexton Michael Porter we'll be going through a lot of prospects over the next few weeks so check up on orlandomagicdaily.com every day for the latest we'll talk about a few of the major prospects here on the show like Colin Sexton today so be sure to check all those out out every day up on orlandomagicdaily.com and another good post as well up there Zach Palmer wrote a a, a look back at the type of players that Jeff Weltman and John Hammond have drafted try and get an idea of who they might go with this time around that's going to do it for me today though I want to thank you all again for listening for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic this has been Philip Rossman Reich I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic you are Locked On Magic Your daily Orlando Magic Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.